Grammar Girl here. November is National Novel Writing Month. So to get ready for this exciting event, this week we have a fiction-themed episode. I'll have a quick and dirty tip about how to format your character's thoughts. An excerpt from Jack Woodville London's book A Novel Approach to Writing Your First Novel, or Your Best One. And a tidbit about the novel as a format. It may be newer than you think. Fiction writers often ask me how they should format their characters' thoughts, which are also sometimes called internal dialogue. Should writers use quotation marks, italics, something else, or maybe nothing? The hardest part about this topic is that there is no definitive answer. It's a style choice, and you'll find different credible websites that make different recommendations, sometimes in very strong tones, One site will clearly state that you should use quotation marks, and then the next will adamantly state that you should never use quotation marks. One will recommend italics, and another will recommend against italics. It's enough to make you have some internal dialogue of your own. I will make a few points, but the best advice is to take it all with a grain of salt. And if you have an editor or agent, see what he or she prefers. When I look through the published books that I've read recently— I regularly see italics being used for a character's thoughts, so it's certainly done and it's certainly common. After reading various sources and their recommendations, I do come down on the side that says you shouldn't use quotation marks for a character's thoughts. Quotation marks denote speech, and using them for internal dialogue could confuse your readers. Finally, in many cases, you don't need any special formatting at all. For example, when you're writing in third person, the narrator can tell the reader what characters are thinking. Squiggly reminded himself that he had wanted to go on this nightmare of a fishing trip. Aardvark could have told me we'd have to climb boulders, Squiggly thought, wondering whether Aardvark had withheld that information on purpose. Neither of those sentences had any kind of special formatting, it was just the words written out. And the same style can work in first person, too. Hurry up, I thought, shifting my bag and wishing the train would come. Some writers would italicize hurry up in that sentence, and although it would be fine, it's also not necessary. Many of the books on my e-reader would have that italicized, but it's simply your choice, or your editor's choice. One pet peeve in the redundancy department is to not write things such as she thought to herself. You don't need the to herself part since the default state is that you're the only one who can hear your own thoughts. I'll also note that I did check the Chicago Manual of Style to see if it had an entry on this topic, since it is the style guide used by many book editors. I couldn't find an entry, but in the website's Shop Talk section, Carol Soller, an editor of the Lingua Franca blog at the Chronicle of Higher Education, noted that she, quote, is constantly removing italics used for internal dialogue, unquote. So as tempting as it is to use them, and as common as it is, remember that not everybody loves them. The best advice is to just choose your style with input from your editor if you have one, and then use that style consistently. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Next, I have an excerpt from Jack Woodville London's book, A Novel Approach to Writing Your First Novel or Your Best One. A Truth The planning of the story continues until the last galley is ripped from your hands and the printer won't take any more calls from the publisher, the editor, or you. It continues to the very, very end. A hard truth. Writing a book is work. 
In many respects, it's like building a home or raising a child. Efforts of love and patience that are hard enough in their own right, but almost always impossible without a blueprint or the example of some devoted predecessors to show you the way. The goal is to write a novel or a story, not to type a lot of pages and bind them. The lesson? Plan your novel before you write it. There are, of course, no fixed rules for composing the blueprint of an unwritten novel than there are for the novel itself. Like the book it hopes to become, it may take any number of forms, long or short, plain or complex. So if the question is, what does a fiction outline look like? The answer must begin with your story. Compare the methods of two authors of extremely well-regarded and complex novels. Jan Martel, author of Life of Pi, writes very detailed notes for each chapter. His chapter notes become chapter outlines. He composes the notes for each of his primary storylines, events, and conflicts, and then continues them until he has completed his collection of chapters that lay out the story. By comparison, Michael Ondaatje, author of The English Patient, is reputed to write spontaneously by his inspiration and intellect. This sounds easy, but for most of us, that approach would be like doodling on a scratch pad and hoping to produce a Picasso. Unfortunately, many authors I know and many whose books I've reviewed profess to the method of, quote, doing their research and then just writing the book, unquote. They often say they don't know what the characters they're writing are going to do until they do them. The difficulty, and it's a real one, is that instinctual composition is inherently satisfying and thus becomes its own end. The product, the written chapter or paragraph in progress, tends to go its own way and takes its characters into unplanned backstories, diversions, and details. Those in turn, more often than not, fail to complement the primary story, or worse, lead away from it by dropping in events or traits that don't flesh out that story. For example, in a novel that opens with the news that the remains have been found of an uncle who was killed in combat, lengthy details about getting the telephone call or telegram, about the box in the attic that no one ever opened, about the event of finding the remains— all have the capacity to obscure the story of how the uncle was killed and what, five or ten or seventy years later, it means. The key here is to know what the story is and to write to it, not write the permutations that distract from it. Few of us have the intellectual and inspirational skills of Michael Ondaatje. I readily confess that I don't. So how to plan for your story. Answer, outline your story, but begin at the end of the story. Work backward to the beginning. 1. What is the punchline of the story? Write down in one or two sentences where the story ends. For example, Frodo and Sam toss the ring into the fire. Mordor goes kablooey. 2. Work backward from there, long enough to identify which characters— or what events resolved the conflict that enables the story to end. Write down in a few sentences a description of them. For example, Mordor is a hard place to get to, especially if you have the ring and the ring wraiths are looking for you. Three, work backward from there 
to identify what had clouded or obscured the resolution to prevent it from being apparent to them. For example, Sam and Frodo were separated from their band of friends and fellow travelers. They went to Mordor, the others went to Middle-earth. Sam and Frodo were dogged by Gollum and his minions sent out to take the ring from them. The others fought off assaults on their kingdom, dangers from trolls, and sojourns with elves. At this point, the written sentences will begin to reflect the workings of both the story and the backstory, those parallel events and characters that work alongside the main event, often overshadowing it, and are interesting in their own right. Continue making these notes until the story has worked its way back to the beginning. Develop a system for yourself. The number one quality of your outline should be flexibility. For this reason, many writers use simple 3 by 5 note cards to write down the principal waypoints of the novel. I tend to use PowerPoint. Others use separate notebooks, one per chapter. Others use a large blackboard. The cards or notebooks or blackboards or slides can be rearranged, rewritten, and supplemented with more cards until the entire novel is laid out in front of you. Once that's done, it's time to see whether you've laid out your story, your conflicts, and shaped them with a story arc. Continue the process until you're satisfied that you know who enters and leaves when, how the conflicts unfold, how they're carried along, and how they converge. As your outline takes shape, begin to transfer your research on places, mannerisms, details of known events, and the like from your research folders into your outlines. The more time you devote to your blueprint, the more quickly you can build your novel, and with fewer stoppages from lack of supplies, labor, or bad weather. As the carpenters say, if you measure three times, check it twice, then you only have to hammer it once. That was an excerpt from Jack Woodville London's book, A Novel Approach to Writing Your First Novel or Your Best One. Run here with permission from Vire Press, copyright 2014, Jack Woodville London. Finally, since we're talking about novels this week, I want to share an idea that surprised me the first time I heard it, and that seems to surprise a lot of other people when I mention it. The novel as a literary form is relatively new. Sure, humans have been telling stories since our earliest days, but depending on the criteria you use, the modern English novel emerged sometime between 250 years ago and 450 years ago. On the older side, Le Morte d'Arthur by Thomas Mallory, which was published in 1485, is sometimes called the first English novel. Other people say the first English novel was Don Quixote, published in 1605, Orinoco, published in 1688, Robin Crusoe, published in 1791, or Moll Flanders, published in 1722. But whichever book you decide was the first novel, the point is that although we've been telling stories for thousands of years, the Greek epic poem The Iliad is nearly 3,000 years old, for example, the novel is a relatively new literary form. In Western culture, it goes back only a few hundred years. And that was your tidbit. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find my books about language, such as Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing and The Ultimate Writing Guide for Students, at your favorite brick-and-mortar or online bookstores. This podcast is produced in partnership with Macmillan Holdings. That's all. Thanks for listening.